know, worship is powerful. Worship is not just pleasing an egotistical uh, God. You know what I mean? It's not, it doesn't have anything to do with that. Because you, know, you, you wonder, well, why, does God really need me to worship him? No, he doesn't. You know what God needs from you? Is that he needs you to be receptive to him so he can live through you. That's what God needs, is you to be an open vessel, an open spigot for him to flow through. And the best way for you to be that is to be thankful toward him. And that's what worship is. Worship is not necessarily warfare. I mean, there might be angels flying around doing really cool things for you as you're worshiping. You just let them handle that. God's got that all figured out, right? He knows what he's doing there. But you, it's about receptiveness. It's about a thankful heart. It's open. You know, worship is the time to just lay everything aside and focus on your Lord, your God, as if you are already in heaven, because you are. You know, in the message portion of this after worship, it, I, I want to talk about the idea that, you know, we're not the type of people that are trying to step out of this world into heaven. We are heaven's citizens stepping out of heaven into this world. You belong there. Your birthright is there. That's where your home is. That's where your spirit is. That's where who you really are is. And it's not a distant place. It's a realm. It's right here. You're in that place now. You are connected in that place now, and it affects everything that you do. You with me? Does everybody have a communion cup? Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take it during this next portion. But I, I just wanted to share some things with you scripturally to kind of set the tone of what we're looking at. Let's look at Isaiah 53, and we're just going to go through verse 4 and 10, uh, 4 through 10. Now, you know, this was written, I don't know, 700 years before Jesus. And so can you imagine a culture? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years have been waiting for the Messiah, and what they had turned their religious system into didn't even recognize that he was going to come and die for them. They were, you know, the, the Hebrews were waiting for a conquering king to come and make them the most powerful nation on the planet through force. And they just missed it. See, and that's what we're, we're still kind of waiting for Jesus to forcefully make us victorious. When really, his kingdom, it's a subtle kingdom. It's a kingdom of influence. It's a kingdom of persuasion. And that's what God's secret is, is that he's not just going to come in and make things happen. He influences the hearts of his people. And as we become brighter, this world experiences more and more of his kingdom. There is an end. There is a resurrection. There is a time he wraps it all up. But in the meantime, he's working through us. And we are influencers. And we are influencers stepping out of heaven into this world. That's why it's so important that you know who you are and what he did for you. See, because the blood has been misunderstood. The sacrifice has been misunderstood. It's been looked at as if we're appeasing God's anger and wrath. And God did have wrath and anger toward mankind, toward sin, toward the injustices that we perpetrated on each other and our rebellion against him. But the blood doesn't, it's not like God is in a fit of rage and then we kill an animal or kill a human and then he gets appeased and satisfied that's what it turned into that's what the pagans were doing and that got put onto Christianity but that's not what it was about at all what it's about is an exchange you think about God right in all his sovereignty in all his power in all his glory in all his dominion 
all-knowing, all-seeing, omnipresent. And he created a physical world within which humans could interact with him. And he gave us dominion over this planet. Mankind is in charge of this created realm. And there's only one way into this world, and that is to be born into this world of water. When it talks about being born of water and born of spirit, the water part is being born as a human. That's what it's talking about. It's not talking about baptism. Go back and read it. So humans have authority over this planet. So the only way to really change this place was for God to become a human. And in God becoming a human, he did some incredible things that God legally, now in his power, in his sovereignty, he could have done, but legally to, to stick to his own word of giving this place to humans, it had to be a human. So he came into this place, limited in every way like we are. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly what you've been through. And he walked through everything that limits you and destroyed it so you can have victory in him. Now, we talk about that all the time. But I'm telling you, here's the deal. As you live your life, I promise you, the more you know that and the more that sinks into your heart, the more it will arise in each situation that you're living in your life. See, because you might think, well, I've heard that. I know that. Well, if you know it, then it should be arising up out of you in that moment when you've got some situation to deal with with your children, with your job, with your finances. Because in that salvation, it affects everything. So let's just look at this. This sets the mindset of, of communion today. Surely he took up our pain. Now, I want you to make this personal, okay? We're not just reading scripture here. We're looking at the word of God the living, spoken word of God, that God announced the good news before it manifested physically into this earth so that we would have hope. Once the Messiah came, he'd already told us hundreds of, and hundreds of years ahead of time what would happen. So think, think about that. God, 700 years before Jesus, 2,700 years ago from here, God told us what Jesus would do for us. It's incredible. He took our pain. You have pain? Might be self-inflicted pain, but he can take that too. Amen? Most of our pain is self-inflicted. And bore our suffering. Wait a minute, I thought God wanted me to suffer. Not necessarily. God will call you. To minister to the world. And if in your following that calling, you experience suffering... That may be the suffering that God has for you, but not suffering for you to have some type of glory out of it because you just need you to suffer. We consider him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. See, that's that pagan reference. Go back to verse 4 again. He's setting right the mindset that God doesn't need a blood sacrifice, but there does need to be an exchanging of life. So even still today, people are afraid of God. It's like they look at Jesus and they say, he's cool, God, I'm scared of. But he says, look, it, it wasn't necessarily God. Pun there is punishment in the breaking of the law and setting that right. There is justice. But the primary motivation for God executing this sacrifice in Christ was not punishment. It was atonement. So next verse. Verse 5. 
He was pierced for our transgressions. Now think about that for a minute. Your transgressions. If you were to go before God and have to account for everything that you did or have ever done in this life, not really toward Him. It is toward Him, but toward other people. Toward yourself. How would that go? Think about that. And then Jesus steps into that place. I'll take it. I'll take it for them. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet, we, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and a sheep before its shears is silent so he did not open his mouth he knew what he was going to do by oppression and judgment he was taken away yet who of his generation protested for he was cut off from the land of the living that means he passed into the grave he passed into Hades not hell not the eternal lake of fire but the abode of the wicked that where you should have gone after death, he passed into that place and was there, cut off from God. It says he left the land of the living. He went into the depths of the earth, is what it says that he went into. So he could destroy the power of that place over mankind. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. So then we see the fulfillment of that in Hebrews 4. Since the children... Now think, now think about this. This tells you exactly the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. It shows you why Jesus had to become a human, die in your place for that exchange. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. He also freed those enslaved to death enslaved to sin. See, you have to understand the humanity of Jesus to understand your freedom from sin, your freedom from death, your freedom from this. Now, that's like the extreme case, but I'm talking your freedom from depression. Jesus became human and went through what you go through to set you free from depression. Think about that. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but you'd be surprised the level of depression in the church. People don't know who they are in Christ. It's not, you know, here's the thing. And we're going to worship in this mindset. We're going to worship in this understanding because I want this to become real in your heart for you, right? I mean, this church, more than anything, is like a mind renewal program. It's like you get turned inside out and you get wrung out. Not in a condemning way, but in a way where you're literally giving up all of that old dead way of thinking. 
You're giving up all of that old stuff that defines who you think that you are. All of those words from your past, all of those failures, all of that fear. Here's my challenge to you as we slide back into this worship and you take of this bread, which represents his body, and the juice, which represents his blood, that you let it affect that area where you're sick, where you're afraid, and where you're in depression. Can you do that? I mean, I don't want you to just to come to church and have a good experience. Boy, that worship sounded really good today. I'm not so sure that he preached as good as he did last week, but you know, that's pretty, that part where he didn't have the right scripture up there, that was a little weird. Maybe he'll get that right next time, you know. But I'm talking for you and your life. This has to be real. Are you with me? Because we, this is, there has to come a time where the body of Christ allows God to live through us. And in a moment like this, it can have, it doesn't have to be like, you know, you don't have to start chanting. You don't, you don't have to start seeing throne room angels and hearing an orchestra from heaven singing behind. If you see and hear that, praise God, that's awesome. That stuff exists, it's real. We're closer to God than that stuff is. But it's gotta be real for you. It's gotta be real for you that he stepped into your humanity and you're letting him live through you. And when we talk about blood and when we sing about blood, we're singing about life. Jesus, we thank you for your body. Your body is the veil through which I interact with heaven. Your flesh, you becoming a human, is my entrance into that unlimited experience and existence with God. You are the door through which I walk. You are my invitation. You, you, are, the, you are the vehicle that brings me into that unlimited place of God. And that is represented in this bread. Father, thank you for giving us your son. Jesus, we remember you. We remember your body. As we partake of this bread, we know that through you, we interact with unlimited eternity. Thank you for your body. And because we're connected to you, we have your life flowing through us. That's what your blood represents. The life is in the blood. Eternal spiritual life came to us through Christ. And we remember that. Jesus, we thank you for your obedience to the death of the cross. We thank you for remaining faithful in the grave and conquering death, conquering Hades, trusting God, being raised to newness of life passing into the heavenly holy of holies and sprinkling your blood for my atonement sprinkling your blood so that I could live in that place I am in you I have assimilated my being into you and I coexist with you there you've made yourself one with me I just want to be a part of your wisdom in action I want to be a part of your life. I want to be a part of your glory that you are sustaining by your logic and your wisdom and your integrity and your character. I just want all of that to flow through me. So I trust you, Lord, and I yield to you. We drink this juice in remembrance of that, Lord.
just stay focused on that. You can stand, you can sit, whatever you want to do. We'll just worship a little while longer. Come on. 